Hi friends, welcome to Coffee with Caregivers. I'm your host, Jess Ronnie, also known as Jess Plus The Mess. I'm an author, speaker, and founder of The Lucas Project, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing recognition, resources, and respite to special needs families. I created Coffee with Caregivers as a space to bring awareness to the struggles that families often face, including difficulties related to finances, mental health, and everything else in between. It is my belief that stories can change the world, and through conversations with caregivers, I hope to provide awareness which will lead to compassion and resources. Thanks for joining me today, but first a word from our sponsors. Welcome to Coffee with Caregivers. I'm Jess Ronnie, and I am here today with Sarah Blankowski. Uh, am I saying enough. that correctly? It's fine. <laughs> okay, good. We'll go with good enough. I have everybody settled in, I think, so I don't think we're going to be interrupted. <laughs> Paint us a picture of what, what that looks like. I'm, first, I'm primary, I'm a caregiver. So my life revolves around um, caregiving my eldest, um, Josie, who has Down syndrome, autism, obstructive sleep apnea, infectious asthma, sensory and behavioral challenges, um, but is a super amazing kid. Um, and then my two little littler ones, uh, my middle daughter, um, Zivia, who is 10, and my youngest, Tiernan, who's eight and has some asthma. So um, yeah, I'm first a primary caregiver and we homeschool mostly for medical reasons. Um, Two of my kids just have really bad respiratory issues, so industrial school germs just does not work well. And yeah, so first we we just do a lot of homeschooling. Um, right now for the pandemic, we're doing isolation homeschooling. So we're missing all of our park days and meetups and all the fun things that kind of make homeschooling homeschooling. So isolation right. homeschooling is a wee bit different so we're just adjusting to that and just trying to be a little bit more easygoing. we school year-round because my eldest has learning regressions so um we kind of take an easier laid-back approach but just stretch it out throughout the entire year um and then when i have breaks like when the kids are doing like their screen time or their independent time. Um, I work part-time as an integrative education coach. So yeah, that's, okay. um, I wear lots of hats for that job, which I love. So I do advocacy. I teach uh, yoga and movement. I also do homeschool coaching and I create custom learning plans, um, especially for kids who have extra needs and need more custom learning solutions. Um, in the home environment, um, I help with flexi-schooling, so kids who have a private um, or a home and public school partnership, I try to help them with creative solutions. And then, um, yeah, and I also just do coaching and end-of-the-year proof-of-progress evaluations for homeschoolers. So I try, I just love helping people, so. Yeah. Okay, well, you're busy. Um <laughs> Now, how old um, is Josie? Josie is 14 now. So, Okay. And when did you find out? When I was pregnant, uh, Josie was a surprise. I always joke that she was two years early. 
Um, I was in the middle of graduate school. So my husband and I were really excited. We were blessed. It was a surprise, though. Um, And I decided just to get ultrasounds and just, you know, follow the, the course of the pregnancy, just enjoy being pregnant. And I told my doctor just I would forgo any optional testing or any testing that didn't have you know, a hundred percent, um, you know, uh, yeah, didn't have a hundred percent accuracy. Um, I didn't want to worry about anything and I didn't want to change anything if something popped up. So on day two, mm-hmm. when Josie was a two day old baby, she was dehydrated, needed to go to the NICU for exaggerated newborn jaundice. Um, we had some breastfeeding challenges, then our very sweet pediatrician and a very stoic neonatologist came into the hospital room and the neonatologist was listing, oh, your baby's dehydrated, needs to go to the NICU. And then, you know, I'm trying not to cry too, too hard. I'm just doing those silent tears. And then my loving pediatrician is kind of doing the sweet translation, but we're going to take very good care of her. Da, da, da. And then the neonatologist was like, well, uh, we're, and we're probably sure that your baby has Down syndrome. And then my husband and I were like, oh, huh. okay, okay. Right. Yes. Punch in the gut. Was, <laughs> like, okay. So, um, yeah. And then they took our baby to the NICU and, um, yeah. And we, I was so lucky that I had those two days just to bond with Josie before we had any type of, um, diagnoses or whatever so I really just was so connected like a mama cat so when they took her to the NICU I felt like this primal switch went off and I felt like a little bit um just primal like ferocious um having to like you know leave the NICU and like leave her in the little um incubator was just Mm gut-wrenching so when we finally got her out of the NICU after a couple of days and we were able to bring her home and I was pumping. I was using nipple shields. Like I really just wanted to breastfeed. Um, it took twice as long and my husband was such a great champ and supporter. Um, and uh, finally after two months we were able to nurse, but the whole time when we were at home, it was really hard letting other people hold her sometimes because <laughs> I'm like, but they took my baby away in the NICU. Like, you gotta. So, mm-hmm. but luckily, I felt this ferocious bonding with her and protectiveness. So, I'm really grateful for that. But, um, I remember having to leave Lucas in um, NICU as well know. for two well, weeks. He was a preemie too, and he? he was he was. Oh, okay. No, okay. he was two weeks early. Um, but he was gonna go full full term, even though they kept telling me these babies have a way of spontaneously aborting and oh, don't gosh. get your hopes up. He'll he'll terminate at some point and then he just kept going and going and going. And he would have. He would have just gone to full term. Um they took him two weeks early. Um, but that's just who he is. He yes. hangs on for dear life and you know, he's still 16 years old and he's hanging on for dear life. So I, they've always said, you know, these kids like Luke, you know, their age expectancy is like 30, 40 years old. And I'm like, he'll be here till he's <laughs> 90. Right. Like he's not I going anywhere. I think that was so. the age expectancy. So historically with, um, I guess in the forties and fifties of, 
um, adults with Down syndrome, um, because there weren't a lot of heart surgeries available, the age expectancy was much lower. But I think now it's mm-hmm. really exciting, you know, with so many of the great options um, and research that our kids and kids with a lot of um, genetic, you know, um, differences are really like can blow all of those estimates out of the water and just be like, yeah, you were wrong. I love that though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And as we were saying before we hopped on, um, there is something to your thoughts and your words towards your child, like almost building a life for your child. You know, if you believe and you have hope and you are not constantly focused on the worst case scenario, I am a true believer in those thoughts and patterns start to manifest in our lives. And, um, yes, okay, no, absolutely. so we'll switch no, over I a love little that. bit. I can, I, I can tell you a story about that later, but yeah, absolutely. So you haven't, um, explained yet exactly in detail what her Down syndrome diagnosis looks like for your family personally. Can you give us a little bit more into that? Yeah. So, I mean, I always like to just start with feeling very fortunate because, um, you know, my husband, um, my husband and I were able to navigate work to where, um, you know, we are still able to have jobs where we had insurance. Um, I was able to take a leave of absence from work for when Josie was hospitalized several times. So, you know, we we definitely come from a lot of privilege. You know, we have white privilege. We have um, some economic privilege. We were able um, to have a lot of her things covered by a primary primary insurance. And then when she was three and so, so, so Josie's always had early intervention services where we had a therapist come to the house once a week Um, starting when she was three months old. And um, the therapist was really great in teaching us things to help intervene, to kind of help boost her development patterns, to try to just stay on task as much as in her path. So we kind of um, learned how to just do things just to kind of boost up like her strength, like especially building up her core muscles and her stomach so she could... um, you know, not be constipated all the time. So crawling, she was about six months, you know, developmentally atypical, you know, because we always want to be positive when we talk about our kids with extra. So instead of being like, oh, she was so behind, it was like, well, no, she's just more six months atypical, not on the typical chart there. And then walking, she started her first steps, you know, probably when she was about 18 months old. But, um, Yeah. So, I mean, we've been really fortunate where we've had physical therapists and then occupational therapists, speech therapists. Um, So she spent a couple days in the NICU when she was a newborn. Um, We were really lucky. The little tiny hole in her heart cleared up on its own. Um, So we didn't have to go through the gamut of heart surgery. So, um, but she didn't sleep through the night till she was two and a half. I would be um, nursing around the clock. Um, She breastfed, you know, well into toddlerhood. But uh, she also had sleep apnea. So she had to have like ear tubes and her adenoids removed when she was almost two. And then that helped a bit with her um, sleep apnea. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's been some rough patches. She was hospitalized again when she was two months old. Uh, she got RSV, which is very common in like Virginia, some of the other states. Um, and she was put on oxygen. She was two months old and she almost died. It was really scary. And then, yeah, so she was hospitalized for six days then. Um, and then we brought her home and that's when we kind of started that protocol where every time we would come home, we'd take off shoes, we'd go wash hands, we'd change clothes because as a baby, she just was getting sick all the time. Is that your biggest fear with her is, is the health respiratory yeah, aspect? Yeah, always been. Uh, yeah, okay. because then when she was. I believe she was 10. I'm sorry. I'm a little tired this morning. <laughs> I've been okay. sleeping good the past couple of days. So am I. Yeah. So <laughs> right. my, we all yeah, are. And my 14 year old still, you know, um, she needs to be woken up in the middle of the night and walk to the bathroom, um, just track and, um, no special gadgets or magic tricks are helping with that. So, um, I'm, I'm, so that means you're waking up. Yes. To, yes. To so, deal with that. Right. So, um, I am, yes. And I, I'm going to stay positive about that, but yes, uh, sleep interruption does affect your brain patterning. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, that's caregiver truth. Um, shout out mm -hmm. to all my, uh, sleepy caregivers today. And I'm, I'm on right. my second cup of coffee. So <laughs> I had postpartum depression because, um, when you're so tired and sometimes you just, it is not safe for you to drive. You just, your personality changes. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was on a leave of absence. Hormones. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's my first baby. I mean, I was, oh, it was rough. I'm a, I'm a history geek and many history people, we like to ramble. So, um, the, okay. So she was hospitalized for pneumonia just like a community acquired virus. I guess they call it walking pneumonia for six days. I guess she was 10. Um, and then she was hospitalized again for pneumonia or, you know, uh, picking up a respiratory virus. And then it turned into the walking pneumonia again when she was 12. Okay. Yeah, no, maybe 13. I think it was 13. What does she in... What does she enjoy doing? Like, and what does her day-to-day -day yes. life look so like? So she wakes up. Um, she has a checklist. So a lot of times we've been fighting, having to do all the things that we um, are not our favorite things to do. But she needs to get dressed. Um, we try to have her do, like, make her bed, help with chores. We still usually get the most productivity, like, if we do family chores. So, like, if we're all cleaning something, then it's good for her to join in and, like, wipe things mm -hmm. down. Or she can help vacuum. Um, she can um, – we're working on trying to make, you know, some of our own meals. Um, because of her food and texture preferences, a lot of times we have to have this, the very same breakfast every day, every morning. Um, which is eggs and some type of like French fry or like crispy like tater tot, like um, potatoes type thing. Um, and then usually she likes like breakfast sausage or bacon. But um, so I'm trying to get her more involved with doing all of the tasks. It's just depending on a lot of times she wakes up in the morning kind of foggy headed. 
um, because of her sleep apnea, I think. So sometimes just trying to give her time to wake up and wake up her brain. So depending on where her brain is that day and like what, how her memory is, then we just try to work on that. Um, We do kind of a laid back homeschooling so she can work on her keyboarding without tears computer program. She has a bunch of learning apps on her iPad and she likes to watch shows and kind of study uh, teenagers and their social behavior, like in television shows. So during her screen time in the afternoon, she does a lot of learning. Um, She likes to Google, like she's been looking up how people in colonial times died. So that's been interesting, her Google searches. Um, She can read. Um, She can also write. So she's been really... uh, liking to use the Siri and like talking into Siri and then Siri will write things out in phrases and then she'll Mm -hmm. copy it down on paper. So she does some independent writing, kind of writes some of her own independent poetry. So we work on targeted goals, but I also try to choose my battles because when um, her temperament is sometimes she'll just dig in her heels and just be like, um, kind of like her anxiety will be like, I'm just going to say no to everything. And it's kind of like, um, I hear your no, but your no is like to something that you usually like. So do you want to kind of tell me what's going on here? Like, <laughs> I hear your no, and I trumpet as your mother. Yes, so. <laughs> exactly. And that's a lot of things. Too, right. where it's like, and this is where we learn that we have to do things that we don't want to do. So a lot of our days yes. kind of depends on how we wake up, how much sleep we got. Um, during isolation time, we try to walk the dog, ride bikes around the neighborhood. Um, she's been getting in this habit of not wanting to leave the house. Like, she'll go in the neighborhood, but she doesn't want to, like, get in the car and, like, go to the park or something. Um, And that's really difficult because once, hopefully, the pandemic kind of calms down a bit, um, (laughs) we're going to be getting out of the house more. And we're going to have to just redo and break so many of these patterns that we're getting stuck in. And, yeah. Yeah, we had to do that, too. Luke went back to school full-time about two weeks ago. and. Oh my word. He's a different kid. He's, he's so happy and wonderful. And he comes home tired and, you know, ready to veg out watching a movie and nice. Yes. Game changer. Okay. Huge. I've been following that. I'm cheering for you guys because (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Hey, after this, let's talk about extended school year because, um, I was curious about that. Yeah. Sorry. I'm rambling. (laughs) Oh, we don't have extended school year in Tennessee. That just makes Um, no sense to me. huge problem. It doesn't make any sense to me either. And I don't understand it at all because that's what he needs to be happy. And that's what we need for him to be happy. Well, as a caregiver, that just seems like Tennessee really needs to get with federal law here. So do you have it in Virginia? Uh, Yeah, we have extended school year. And that's why like that red flag came up to me. And I was like, I need to talk to Jess about that after our podcast. But um, yeah, just from an advocacy perspective, like what your kid you know what your person needs trumps all the local stuff so I'd be happy to talk to you about that later so okay so transitioning a little bit um what what are your thoughts about her future do you have a thought about how that looks for her oh my gosh I'm so excited for Josie's future so Josie 
is a very um, loving and snarky and spunky person. She loves to dance. She's got sass. She um, is just, she really, she came in this, she came here to just do great things. So I'm here just to help be like a facilitator and just help try to keep her safe and healthy. But um, right now she wants to be a YouTube star, which I'm kind of scared okay. of, but I kind of want to wait till she's more of an adult before I launch her out into the greater world. So um, if that's something that she wants to do, then I could try to help her navigate that in a very safe and loving way. Um, she really loves helping people. She loves connecting heart to heart. Uh, she loves dancing. She loves singing. She loves um, she loves writing. Will she have the ability to live independently no. someday? No. Okay. No. Um, what does your thought process look like? So with that? I that was a really rough. I think I started recognizing. I think it was age twelve. Was really. We went to the developmental pediatrician and, you know, the, they ask you all these great questions about, like, what's going on, what, um, you know, where your person's at. And the developmental pediatrician was really great and was like, okay, are you guys using a calculator? And I was like, no, not really. And she goes, well, today is the day to start. And it was a very loving thing because it wasn't like oh you have to start using the calculator but it was just this recognition of so this is where you're at and it's great to start adapting for where you're at you could always keep striving for more but at the same time recognizing where you're at and then when I started um after one of her hospitalizations, she was just a lot of her, she had a lot of fogginess and a lot of learning regressions. Um, she even had a bunch of joint instability. And I was looking up, the joint instability was probably a side effect of one of the really strong antibiotics she took in the hospital. Um, okay. So I didn't recognize that, but like we had went to the orthopedic doctor and they wanted to do that. He suggested this very aggressive, very painful surgery. And then when I went and got a second opinion, the other doctor was like, well, that's one approach, but that I wouldn't recommend that approach. You know, I would just recommend like physical therapy and then just kind of recognizing that's where she's at and just aiming for functional mobility. But it was just one of those recognitions where um, a lot of her behaviors, like she still elopes. So we have a handicap placard in case she tries to, if she decides, sometimes she randomly decides to race in a parking lot. And like okay. there have been a couple of times where she's almost got hit by cars because cars drive in parking lots. And um, so the last one time I didn't want to take the last handicap spot. And I was like, we're going to be good and we're just going to park away and like leave it for whoever has the van. And that was the day that she almost got hit by a car. And then I said, I love all of you people, but I'm going to just keep taking that handicapped place so she doesn't run and get run over by a car. And she also has, um, sometimes she'll have dementia where she won't, she'll think something happened yesterday, but it actually happened like two years ago or... Um, there are some family members that she couldn't remember who they were. And granted, you know, if you don't see family for like a long time, I get it. But 
certain people who she was supposed to remember and she didn't remember. And that was a wake up call where I finally, I had a good cry and was like, okay, full independent living is not going to happen. And then um, that kind of made me go, you know, start researching. Okay. So she could definitely live with us for a while as an adult, but we also need a plan for her for when, you know, my husband and I are no longer able to take care of her and how do we have her integrated and give her the best life with community and friends and hopefully, you know, a partner, you know, down the road, you know, if that's what she chooses. So um, my long-term goal is to work hard and then probably set up uh, a really awesome type of um, community type of group home where my husband and I can find a way where we're still really active in the group home and like really get to be involved. Um, I hope to maybe like teach yoga and just give her a little bit of space to be like, all right, peace out, mom. Bye. Right. (laughs) Go home. (laughs) Like my husband and I could also maybe like live like down the street or something. And Mm -hmm. then that way she gets kind of the best of everything. But then we also get to, you know, um, go visit like our other kids if they move far away or something. So um, that's the long-term goal. Um, we're kind of lucky because in Virginia, Virginia is not the worst state to live in for adults with disabilities, but in the United States, it's not the best either. So, Mm -hmm. um, I actually had a friend, um, a neighbor who, um, her, her family was military. So every three years they moved and she worked and did case management for adults with, um, intellectual disabilities. And she worked at the agency that my daughter is on the waiting list for like that case management. We get, um, we ha- we are really blessed. We have a waiver with the state of Virginia. It's called the CC plus waiver where we're able to hire care attendants. We get to pick who we want. Um, and then using paperwork and procedures from a state agency, um, the state agency kind of manages the payroll part. We're really lucky okay. we get um, care attendant hours, and then we also get respite hours. So that's an amazing, fortunate thing. Um, we were put on the waiting list, and then we received the waiver when Josie was three and a half. So throughout different times when we've had really good care attendance, I've had support. Um, which has really kept me completely sane and has also helped. So Josie, you know, had people that could like take her to activities or something when I was home, like nursing a baby, like when my son was born or whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, there have been times when we haven't had care attendants, like um, a lot of times my care attendants were these awesome college kids and then they would graduate and get careers and, you know, we would lovingly say goodbye or whatever. And they're still in our, we still keep in touch with them. But there have been times when we don't have um, a lot of care attendant support. And that's really where like things fall apart. <laughs> so yes, I understand that Tennessee is not very good in that area at all. <laughs> so oh. we are learning that there are states that are much better in, yeah. in the area of providing vouchers and respite funds and um, 
yeah, it's interesting. It's you, you would just assume that every state would have something in place to support caregivers, but that's not the case at all. Well, it's heartbreaking. One, I love your, um, the Luke, Luke, Lucas project. I love that you guys are really um, helping caregivers. And, you know, I love this, this podcast because a lot of um, people equate a human's worth based on like what they produce or how much they make. And caregiving is such a valuable, phenomenal, you know, I mean, it's just, it's one of the oldest professions, you know, taking care of people in the village. Mm-hmm. So I, I love what you guys are doing. And I, I just, I, um, I'm happy to really just uh, support that and cheer you guys on. But yeah, it's, well, thank you. It's, it's really hard. And I always like to emphasize now, my first job is always a caregiver because um, after, just lots of explorations. The only type of work I can do is work that, um, like for example, if I have like a report to do or like an evaluation, um, I can, if Josie gets hospitalized, I can still type that up in the hospital room. So like I have right. to be able to adapt my work in case somebody gets sick or like when my son's asthma flares up, if I'm up all night, you know, with him on the nebulizer, I need to just be able to, you know, drink an extra cup of coffee and then like get on the Zoom. And that's a good point because a lot of um, families don't understand that about the caregiving Mm -hmm. life is that my husband and I could not have regular nine to five jobs because of all of the fluctuations in our life and eight kids and what if one of the kids gets sick at school or what if something happens to Lucas. So we've had to create this life where we're both self-employed and for him that is flipping houses and for me that's piecing together a bunch of things which (laughs) is so great make a little bit of money I I love but I love that because the leave of absence and then I went back to um, finishing my master's thesis and then I finished graduate school when Josie was I guess three and then um, I got uh, pregnant with my middle child and just throughout the years, every so many of the things I've tried to explore, the time, the, the few times that I did have a job where I was like outside of the home, I had to like cut it down because like I was teaching a regular class and my daughter got hospitalized. Then even bringing her home, you know, I have amazing care attendants throughout the years, but. Um, the way the state works, if your if your person goes into the hospital, their care attendant can't go in the hospital and get paid either. It's like all of the 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 oh, focus. Okay. Like, um, you can't have like a paid care attendant and the hospital. And the hospital. Like you get one or the okay. other, which is I'm not going to complain about that at all. It's just when Josie would come home and if she was still in, infectious. I can't have people coming into a biohazard of a house. Like, hey, we have this really horrible respiratory virus. You want to come in and help? Like, it's just. Right. Right. Exactly. We're not a nursing home. So it's just. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to be able to have that privilege, but it is a privilege oh gosh, that yes. I understand that I have with a certain skill set that yes, I have. I know to be able to piece together a living and my heart goes out to caregivers who can't do that. Oh, that that's not an option. That's, my, my core belief system has always been that whatever the best fit, because I, I know a lot of families who like some kids might go to a private school. Some might go to the public school. Some kids might be the ones staying at home and 
whatever the best fit is for you and the best fit for your learner, that's what I'm cheering for. But I especially Mm -hmm. advocate and keep up with um, like what's going on in the state funding and how it affects caregivers, how it affects kids who, you know, their only supports are from public school. So when they're not allowed to go to school, they're not getting so much of the support. And it's like, you guys, we have to support everybody. So yeah, that's. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I have three, three takeaway questions here that I like to end every interview with. The first is how has being a caregiver changed you? Um, so I always wanted kids. Um, I never knew in the life plan that I was going to get a child with extra, but I, I think it was what I, I prayed for. I prayed for a very deep, meaningful soul journey in life. When my first child came and my child with extra came, it was just an answer to a prayer because um, every time that she survived, I just felt so grateful for this gift. So caregiving really just expanded um, my view of the world. Um, my, my kid with extra gave me a ticket to being able to be a part of the series of self-advocates and people with all different abilities. And um, that passport has just made my life so much better and colorful and just really phenomenal. And it's created more empathy because I know how hard it is. And I try not to take so much for granted that I did before um, Mm -hmm. my kid with extra came. That's good. Yeah. So um, I I understand the mess a lot more um, and the grit and the sleepiness and the this is not fair. I, I feel empathy for that. So I am so grateful for that. Second question, what is the best way someone has helped you? My favorite ways that people have helped me is when they just let me show up authentically. They know that my my heart is from a loving place. They also let me vent and they don't pity me. Pity is like the worst feeling for me as a caregiver Mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, who are you? And it's like this. Somebody is like at the top of a cliff looking down at you at the bottom, like as you're just treading water and they're just like, oh, that must be so hard. And then it's, it's kind of like, you just want to be like, you know, maybe you think part of you is helping, but you're really not. So I think my, my favorite things that people have done for me is just be like, let me be authentic and just share loving empathy. Um, and just know that, you know, create a safe space where I can still be a loving caregiver, but I could also vent and just be like, this is ridiculous, or this is what I woke up to. And then they could just be like, I hear you and I'm sending you love. I think that's the best mm-hmm. thing people have done for me. Good. And, you know, this idea of pity too is somebody else looking at you and saying to themselves, thank goodness that's not exactly. me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know what? I would rather probably that you ignore me or just like, I don't know, pretend that, or just not even acknowledge my reality rather than you give me pity. Like pity is really something that I don't think serves anybody anytime. No, it's a really gross, 
it's the worst to be on the receiving end of pity oh my god oh yeah and, oh yeah absolutely yeah I hear you and third question I know you're really good at this so I'm hoping <laughs> you can talk a little bit about this if you had one hour all to yourself how would you spend it oh that's a good well let's see one whole hour uh, I love walking my dog um love just sitting on the porch chatting with a friend. I love playing and doing yoga because it makes me feel better. So yeah, I, I think an hour, I think I would probably just spend not getting interrupted and just hanging out with a friend <laughs> because... Not getting interrupted. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's asking too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just have, yeah, having a conversation with somebody who just loves and like who just loves me and just not getting interrupted a million times. So that would be how I would want to spend just an hour. But I guess if I was alone, I would just do something really like self-care, like one of those like great sheet masks you can get. Um, and then just laying flat, propped up with a bunch of yoga pillows and doing like a restorative yoga um, where you really just let your vagus nerve calm down um, you really just have some time just to kind of sink, have like your organs drop down and just really melt into just yumminess and kind of just a rest where your, your brain is able to kind of slow itself down, but it's still like a little bit awake that I think really just makes life yummy. I love my yoga sessions. I try to squeeze in about 20 minutes oh, a day. Oh, so good. Yeah after dinner and for a while there I, I was feeling like I had to do an hour and I would never get around to doing an hour because I just could not find that hour and I thought you know what I need to lower my expectations 20 minutes is very attainable okay. yes so now it's just 20 minutes after dinner by myself like decompressing and you're right it just like recenters you and brings up peace to your soul and it's wonderful well, it's, it's so awesome and I that I love studying and sharing yoga, but I also, um, I'm very committed to accessibleyoga.org, which is a nonprofit for sharing accessible yoga for all. So it's not about spiritually bypassing anybody, not imposing um, a certain set of yogic teachings. It's just helping really bring the universal loving and healing practices of yoga to everyone. So I think that's also like when I share yoga um, or even just say that I love doing yoga. I love the yoga of just not judgment, the yoga of it's messy. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's the yoga where it doesn't hurt you. It just helps you really kind of connect and yourself, you know, not to, you know, do it for an aesthetic, but just really do it because um, it's great to help um, find a practice that makes you kind of return to yourself and feel a little bit more safe and loved in yourself. So I'll have to check that out. Accessibleyoga.com. Um, Is that what you said? Well, it might be accessibleyoga.org. But um, you can okay. find, um, yes, you could find teachers who've done extra trainings. So um, accessible yoga teachers, they're trained in bed yoga. They 
really are out to share yoga with every everybody, all bodies, anybody, um, especially um, including everyone with different abilities. Um, so that's okay. really what I just find is just so helpful, especially for caregivers, because um, self-care is just really what gets you through the day and gets you through the long haul. I could not agree more. So, um, well, this has been fun, Sarah. Thank you so much. And where, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Thank you. Um, so my website is learning heroin, um, heroin as like the feminine hero version, not the drug heroin. (laughs) Um, Thanks for clarifying. But, um, and then I'm also on Facebook or Instagram and, Again, I'm first a, a caregiver, and then I love working and helping people. But um, yes, I schedule all my clients around homeschooling and family, so it, it seems to be working, and I'm I'm proud to serve. But I don't come from like a judgy place, or I don't wear the judgy pants. I'm here just to meet you where you're at and support you in whatever you're doing. So perfect. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. If you want to know more about The Lucas Project, find us at thelucasproject.org. If you want to know more about my story, head to justplusthemess.com and while there, subscribe to my monthly newsletter or maybe check out my memoir, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. In the meantime, please hit subscribe and maybe leave a quick review. These are so important in the podcast world as they help us gain traction and recognition which translates into helping more caregivers. And until our next conversation, let's do what we do best. Just keep living.